chapter three, <laughs> verses one through 17. Um, this is a well-known passage of scripture that many of you probably have committed to memory in your lifetime. Um, I will be reading from the inclusive egalitarian text um, translation with the hopes that it offers something fresh and new insights on these verses. Also, I would like to invite you to practice a little Visio Divina as I read. So I'm gonna to try to share my screen here. Uh, all right, we're good, okay. So this oil painting is titled Study for Christ and Nicodemus on a Rooftop. It was created by Henry Osawa Tanner in 1923. And the original can be found at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. As I read, I invite you to visualize this encounter and imagine what it must have been like that night for Nicodemus and Jesus. A certain Pharisee named Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, came to Jesus at night. Rabbi, he said, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can perform the signs and wonders you do unless by the power of God. So Nicodemus, Jesus gave Nicodemus this answer. The truth of the matter is, unless one is born from above, one cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can an adult be born a second time? I can't go back into my mother's womb to be born again. And Jesus replied, the truth of the matter is, no one can enter God's kingdom without being born of water and the spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised when I tell you that you must be born from above. The wind will blow where it will. You hear the sound that it makes, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be possible? Asked Nicodemus. And Jesus replied, you're a teacher of Israel and you still don't understand these matters? The truth of the matter is, we are talking about what we know. We are testifying about what we have seen, yet you do not accept our testimony. If you don't believe me when I tell you about the earthly things, how will you believe when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the chosen one. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the chosen one must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in the chosen one might have eternal life. Yes, God so loved the world as to give the only begotten one, that whoever believes may not die, but have eternal life. God sent the only begotten into the world, not to condemn the world, but through the only begotten, the world might be saved. We hear the voice of God through these words. Thanks Thank be you to God. Now I'm gonna unshare if I can do that. Am I back? Can I get a thumbs up? Okay, great. Well, I don't really need to preach because <laughs> between Fran and Forrest, well done guys, you did great. You did the work for me. <clears throat> so I have a little bit of a confession. So we're gonna use this as confession time. I did not really look at the lectionary or the church calendar a couple of months ago when I agreed to preach today. <laughs> Uh, I kind of blindly just said yes, because our pastors needed someone and I like our pastors and 
And really, I need the preaching experience. If I had thought to look, and I realized that today is Trinity Sunday, and that John 3.16 was part of the lectionary text, I might have said, eh, thanks, but no thanks. Um, this has been a really hard sermon for me to write for a couple of reasons. One is that the Trinity is really tricky. And two, John 3.16 is so well known that and popular in our culture that it's really hard to see it with fresh eyes. And the story of, um, of Nicodemus, that, that's not really a text that I would choose to talk about the Trinity. I don't really know if they mesh super well, but nevertheless, here we are. It's Trinity Sunday and John 3, and so we're just going to go for it. I'm going to try to weave these together. Just forgive any heresy that might come out of my mouth. So let's start with Nicodemus. He's an educated leader in the Hebrew community, respected, well-spoken, and curious. But let's be honest, this text makes Nicodemus seem a little daft. The gospel writer felt it was important to tell us that Jesus and Nicodemus met at nighttime. And perhaps he went at night so that none of his Sanhedrin friends would see him entertaining the radical teachings of Jesus. Or maybe he went at a time when he knew that he could speak to Jesus alone and he could ask his burning questions in a more safe and judgment-free setting. Or maybe the darkness is a symbol of Nick's inability to see things. And his question was pretty simple. Jesus, what do you mean I have to be born again? That is literally and physiologically impossible. And I'm sure my mother would agree, Jesus, but could you please explain this? And then Jesus, true to his mysterious teaching form, gives Nicodemus a vague and mystical response about the wind blowing and something about water and flesh and spirit. And Nicodemus is like, really, man, that's all I get? What? That makes no sense. And then Jesus said, come on, Nick, you're a teacher of Israel and you still don't get these matters. He said, I'm telling you about these earthly things that you can see and hear and feel and you don't get them. How are you ever going to understand the heavenly things that I'm about to tell you? That things that nobody has ever seen. Like I said, this, this text makes poor Nicodemus out to be daft and way too literal. Now, with our 21st century eyes, we can see that Jesus is not speaking about rebirth in a physical sense. We have over 2,000 years of text and scholarship and history and the spirit of God to help us see this larger, more eternal, cosmic, and universal message of Christ. Nicodemus was just trying to make sense of it in real time. And I have some empathy for Nicodemus because here I am, an overly educated, well-spoken most of the time, privileged woman. I went to seminary. I'm a leader here in our small but mighty community. And yet when it comes to understanding and explaining and preaching a sermon on the nature and the relationship of the Trinity, our triune God, well, I feel like Nicodemus. <laughs> I mean, of course I could give you a canned answer, three in one, or I could regurgitate the hymn that was taught to me. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. There, that's it, done, that's the Trinity. But if I really think of it, if I really ponder the Trinity, questions start to creep in. Weird questions like, how can three be one? That doesn't mathematically add up. I mean, I'm not good at math, I'm a social worker for a reason, but that doesn't 
add up to me sometimes. Um, and is the Trinitarian, is Trinitarianism still monotheism? And why only three? Why not five or seven? Am I a heretic? Three what? One what? Or is it three who's? Or is it whom? Or who's the boss of the Trinity? Do they or it run things? Is it the they? Is it it? If I'm praying directly to the Trinity, do I say you or y'all or all y'all? The pronouns and the grammar alone are enough to baffle me and kind of make me want to stop. <laughs> and the more I think about it, I just want to jump back in my time machine and go back 2000 years. And I would go back and pat Nicodemus on the shoulder and tell him, Nick, I feel you, brother. I feel the same way. And I would tell him that I too spent a long time studying this stuff in seminary. And sometimes I don't feel like I can wrap my mind around it. Like Nicodemus for me, sometimes this stuff feels so big and otherworldly and definitely rabbit holy. <laughs> um, and this would be one of those topics that I would love, love, love to just check the box and say, yep, the Trinity, it's a mystery and move on. But I can't. Around here, you've been encouraged to avoid some spiritual bypassing. Thank you, Fran. Um, and I feel that to simply label the Trinity as a mystery or paradox would be theological bypassing, which I think is short-sighted and intellectually lazy. God gave us brains, let's use them because we can do hard things, right? Dr. Roger Olson, one of my professors in seminary and the author of several well-worn books in my library, warns us against pulling the mystery card too soon. But not only is it lazy, but it also risks making our faith so mystical that it becomes so individualized and inaccessible rather than public and intelligent. I believe that we must hold the tension of accepting mystery and paradox and doing the hard work of questioning the things that we believe. Do they have the logical and scriptural legs to stand on? Because I think that we can do both at the same time, that logic and faith are not incompatible, especially on a matter as important as eternity. So thankfully for us, through the gift of scripture, through the prophetic voices of the past and our logical minds that God gave us, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can make some sense of the nature of our triune God. Although nowhere in scripture is the word trinity or triune used, it's not in there. Oh, but there are whispers of the Trinity woven throughout scriptures, First Testament and the New, from beginning to end. It's there. Jesus spoke a lot about Abba, the one who sent him, and the Holy Spirit, but he never fully explicitly explained the dynamics of their triangular relationship and their oneness. He never laid it out, at least not in clear and simple terms for people like Nicodemus and myself. Um, in fact, it took nearly four centuries after Jesus's life and a couple of councils in Nicaea and Constantinople for the early church leaders to come up with something that's logical and faithful, albeit still mystical, um, with the statement on the nature of God for the rest of us. And thankfully they use simple language that would bring the universal church under the same doctrine. One substance, three persons, or as another professor of mine put it, 
three who's and a what. In a unified and interdependent egalitarian relationship, eternal since before the beginning of time, immutable, unchanging, complete, whole, infinite in love. Three distinct persons equal to one another in relationship with one another. Abba God, celestial parent, the creator, the one who sins, Yahweh, Elohim. In an equal and reciprocal and ever connected relationship with the begotten one, the son, the word, the chosen one, the redeemer, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. In an equal and reciprocal ever connected relationship with the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the comforter, the sustainer, the advocate, the Holy Ghost. One Godhead, one substance, unified in oneness, in relationship with creation. For me, the doctrine of the Trinity, as perplexing as it is to explain, is important because I believe that it's foundational for the other beliefs that we hold to be true about the activities of God with the world. The creation, the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, the judges and the prophets, the incarnation, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, Pentecost, baptism, communion, the Great Commission, eternal life, everything that the apostles ever did, and pretty much every word that Jesus ever said. The relationship of the triune God is the cornerstone that holds us all in place. Certainly there is a limit to our understanding of the Godhead and the three persons. Its depths are beyond our reach. I believe in the triune. I believe our belief in the triune God is both scripturally, logically, and philosophically sound and mysterious and beyond our full comprehension. They can be both. And my understanding and my sermon certainly leave a lot of room for mystery and a lot of room for study and further questioning, for sure. But I can be only be faithful to what I can understand, which is this. The triune God, one substance, three persons, in and of itself is a relationship. Interdependent, equal, loving, reciprocal, holy, and good for the purpose of, of a loving relationship with creation. So the gospel writer of John did not record how the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus concluded that night. He never told us, I'm assuming it's a he that wrote it. Uh, he never told us if Jesus went on to clarify or if Nicodemus ever really understood what it meant to be born again. I personally think that he did because we hear about Nicodemus two other times in John. Once when he goes uh, and he's advocating to the Sanhedrin for Jesus to actually get a fair trial before he's judged. And then we see him again after the crucifixion when he's brought spices and oils to prepare Jesus's body for burial. That leads me to believe that at some point, Nicholas got it. I'm sorry, Nicodemus got it. I believe that Nicodemus bruised ego and all, eventually was, be able, was able to see beyond his own understanding of the physical and earthly things and began to understand the spiritual and cosmic mission of Jesus. 
a faithful understanding of the Trinity is not just for the sake of having good theological bones to support our other beliefs. The understanding of the relationship of the triune God with itself helps us to understand the relationship that the triune God desires to have with creation. Furthermore, it helps us to understand the relationship that the triune God desires for creation to have with creation. Not just God with us or God with God, but us with us as one. That's that oneness. In John 17, Jesus explicitly prays for us, prays this for us. He, he prays about this oneness in what I think is one of the most beautiful prayers. And it's kind of long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. You should go back and read um, John 17. Um, but I'm going to end with this prayer for Jesus, because I think that it really, Jesus said it better than I could. Um, and um, I think that this is the desire of the Trinity. John 17, 17 through 23, Jesus prayed, consecrate them, make them holy through the truth for your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I consecrate myself for their sakes that they may be made holy in truth. I don't pray for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all may be made one as you, Abba, are in me and I in you. I pray that they may be one in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you loved them as you loved me. We hear the voice of the mysterious triune God in these words. Thanks, Thanks be to God.